There's a lot of focus right now on police brutality, which we all agree is terrible and we don't want to see that happen. But there's been some some people that have been like, you know, really mean or really aggressive against police and kind of put every every police officer in the in the same basket bucket. And um, I don't think that's helpful. I don't think it's healthy. I don't think it's fair. Right. So I wanted to sit down with a cop, which I did. His name is Brock and just get to know his reality, understand what, what his life is like as a cop that just wants to keep citizens safe, right? That just wants to help out citizens, but also himself is governed by law, right? And highly scrutinized. And so he, he, told, he told me a lot of things that I didn't know about, about being a cop in the US. And um, yeah, it's just, I think it's a valuable, super valuable for to hear from people like that that are in the field that are doing the job. Like what what is their reality actually like? And so I'm grateful that Brock, who is married to one of my team members, was willing to sit down with me and and talk with me and so I could I could learn. And um, I'm excited to share it with you so you can learn too. We each have our own gift to give and yours is unique. What reality you want to create? That's your choice always. No one can take that from you. I'm just here to hear your your story and your perspective and your experience with everything that's happening right now. So, right. yeah, but like that that trip out to you guys and you you took me out shooting guns in the desert. Right, right. It was like first time I've ever experienced that. Like I grew up in Denmark and like we don't have like nobody has a gun. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was I think what was so eye opening for me was just like like the way that you operate around around guns and like that is just like I really got that like hey a good a good person with a gun is actually a, a really good thing right um so it was it was really it was a yeah it was definitely a moment for me yeah well i think uh you know one of the things is you know everyone should have a healthy fear of guns they are a dangerous instrument just just like you know a, a table saw or anything else there's a potential right. danger there and, you know, instead of um, hiding from them, um, you know, I was brought up to respect and know as much about them as possible so that you know how to be safe around them. You know, it's just a different mindset, whether you're going to avoid them altogether or, you know, learn enough to control them and use them correctly. I, I w- they, they won't let me here in New York. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, they, I, they won't let me have one anyway. Yeah. I think you're still allowed in New York to have a harpoon gun, though, if you want oh, a yeah? CO2-powered harpoon gun. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Awesome. Let me try that. All right. I want to know, know how you're feeling and how, how this period has been for you. Well, I mean, it's definitely been not something I thought I was going to go into. You know, my journey to be a police officer was a long one. You know, it took me from the moment I decided to get into law enforcement to the moment I put on my first badge was probably six years. And, you know, one of my reasons for for doing it is I was a mechanic before and Mm -hmm. I always felt like I was getting asked to work in that gray area of life, you know, somewhere between screwing over the customer for charging him too much to, you know, doing the right thing. There's always that wow. weird, you know, section. So when I and that left, was your, your, like your managers were asking you to do unethical things with, yeah, you know, the and, and the justification was like, 
it wasn't um, you were, we weren't overcharging people. We were trying to get the most out of um, the corporation, out of under warranty. So mm. charge you know charge the the company more for, for your time to to optimize it. And some sometimes mm. you know I could get behind it uh, because of justifications. And sometimes I was just like you know this doesn't sit with me right. If you want it done, you're gonna have to find another mechanic to do it. Mm. And so when I left, you know, I really wanted uh, to have a job that my kids would look up to and, you know, and I could be an example for my kids. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, that has been in the back of my mind this entire time. And now, surprisingly, we're entering into a time where kids are going to be, you know, I don't know if you heard like that Lego is going to pull, um, you know, police. I saw that as a Dane. I'm like, what, what the fuck guys? Yeah. So I, th I think that got stopped. I'm not sure, but we're, we're at a time where, you know, you, you're not supposed to think that police officers are, you know, someone to look up to anymore. Mm -hmm. um, they're, you know, oppressive and, and whatnot. And I it's just kind of like, I just don't want my kids to buy into that narrative. You know, that's mm -hmm. not who I am. That's not why I joined. And that's not what I think that, uh, this organization's about, you know. Right. I mean, it sounds like you joined for the exact opposite reason. Like, I mean, the story you told about being a mechanic and you're like, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, my mother-in-law put the idea in my ear and uh, I joined the, I joined the national guard um, to kind of get my ears wet and find if I liked the structure and, and whatnot. Cause I, before that I had never really given much thought to being a police officer. Once I joined the military, once I went to basic, once I uh, got deployed, I really knew that this was what I was supposed to be. And um, I don't know, I just don't, I guess I don't like bullies. And I always kind of realized growing up that whoever the bully was, was like the person that I always tried to kind of undermine, I guess, you know, mm -hmm. I was a small kid for a long time, but at least verbally try to like, you know, get the bully to go away kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's hopefully what law enforcement should be. I mean, we stand in the way uh, of, you know, people that can't defend themselves. That's, that's the point. Right. That is the point, right? Yeah. Otherwise, the strongest, the strongest, um, or best armed wins. Right. Yeah. 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 So, what is like? Yeah. What has it been like for you? Like, especially these past several weeks with everything that's happening. Like, do you feel a change in in your relationship with the community over this? I, I have, um, and honestly, I mean, it's to our to law enforcement. I mean, it's to everyone's detriment. But I've noticed that on calls, the attitude of people have changed towards us as far as being more disrespectful, more confrontational. And, you know, that's going to lead to more confrontations, honestly, you know? I mean... In what I, way are, are people being confrontational? What, what does that look like? I've gone to a, a call where um, a man said he walked by another man and he heard that man, after he passed by, he heard that man what sounded like cocking of a gun. And then he said, you know, he, he pointed it at me. And I said, did you, did you see the gun? And he's like, no, I, I didn't see the gun, but I know he pointed it at me. Well, you know, unfortunately that's, that's not valid reason for me to arrest somebody for not seeing something, right. just having that sixth sense of knowing. And I, I was trying to explain this to him and, you know, and he said, oh, well, that's because that guy's white, isn't it? If, if, if he was, you know, Mexican or black, you would have already arrested him. No, no, I would still have to, you know, more evidence than that, you know. So just just little things like that of people 
uh, now are playing quarterback and judging every decision they see us do through, you know, a racist lens um, right off the bat. I, I went to another one where um, uh, the report came in that she was, um, a woman was um, physically assaulted and, and ran out of apartment. The guy caught her and dragged her back into the apartment. And when we got there, she answered the door. She lied. She said, you know, nothing happened. I was just talking on my phone. And, you know, we were saying like, you know, listen, we need to deal with this. Um, she wouldn't let us check the house for the boyfriend or for the, for the man. We're assuming it was a boyfriend, you know, and first thing out of her mouth was, you know, you can't come in, but I know you're going to force your way in anyway because you're one of those corrupt police officers that I've seen on the news. Hmm. And, you know, it's like, listen, we're here to help you. You were the one assaulted. She had, you know, she had red, uh, bruises hadn't formed yet, but she had redness on her body and everything like that. And we're here to keep you from getting hurt. And, you know, you, the victim, is now insulting us, saying that, you know, we're, we're the bad guys and we're, we're going to corruptly, you know, violate your freedom. Hmm. And so, you know, obviously, as police officers, we need to work with the community and, and we're here to protect. And now, even if the victims... I uh, don't have faith in us uh, because of the news. Um, it's just going to impede investigations, which kind of fuels the problem. If if they don't help us with the investigation, then we can't bring the guilty party to justice. So then they say, well, see, uh, they didn't help me at all. They're worthless. Mm -hmm. Well, you, for us to help you, you have to be cooperative. You know, there's no other way. If you're going to deny that he's in the house, deny anything, then how can we help you? Right. So... Um, yeah. just, so what do you think, what do you think actually happens in that situation? Is, is she afraid that if she, if she lets you in, then like I'm her sure boyfriend's going to harm her or like? More probably because she knows we'd arrest him and she wants to protect him. Maybe he's, you know, the, uh, the sole provider of income or maybe she's right. just delusionally in love with him, even though it's an abusive relationship. I mean, that, that touches on this, this notion that I've heard people talk about, like that, that cops end up being sort of social workers a lot of the time. I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the time, especially if it's a domestic incident, they call us because they want that altercation to stop, but they don't want any consequences. They don't really want us to right. arrest their brother or their, you know, the wife yeah. or the husband. They want us to be there. So they stop, you know, fighting them. And they get a talking to, but then they don't want anything more than that. And unfortunately, at least in uh, where I'm where I'm at, that's not the law. Once once law enforcement has evidence that you know a domestic altercation happens, domestic would be you know between spouses or any kind of sexual partner, family member, even a roommate if you've lived with them for a substantial you know period of time. So any of those things, once we are alerted to it, and once there's evidence of it, it's the state that prosecutes not the individual so she can say i don't want or he can say i don't want to press charges and we're we're saying you know that's that's irrelevant you're not pressing charges the state is pressing charges so then they get upset you know because again they don't want their uh wife to get arrested they don't want their husband to get arrested and if you were to like turn a blind eye in that situation i'd probably like, like yeah yeah so, yeah. yeah, I mean, they're pretty strict policy on it. There'd be an investigation and, and ultimately I, I could lose my job over it. So how is, so how does that whole internal like police investigation work? Like if you, if you did something wrong, right? They take it pretty seriously there. Any, any complaint 
so any written complaint. Anytime a, a, a citizen comes into the police department or calls and makes an and request to make official complaint, there is 100% of the time an investigation on that. Sometimes Who does that investigation? Uh, internal investigations. There's a whole you know division of it. Um, Internal Jack. affairs, is that the thing that's called? Or is that just the way in the movies that it's called? Or <laughs> I don't know. We just call them IA, but I'm sure that's what it's called. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and, and are they local to you guys or are they like state or are they somewhere else? We have one inside our department which would deal with um, minor infractions. How, how big is your apartment? How many cops there? It's slotted for, I believe around 85 officers and about 45 to 50 of those are patrol officers. The rest would be made up of, you know, detectives and canine and, and um, traffic units, specialty units like that. So how, how many IA people? Generally, I, I would say it's a group of around three or four people and they, they usually do the job for a few years and then it gets moved to somebody else. It's like, does it rotate? So like, these are people who used to be, like yeah, patrol it, or like yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't rotate like a, like no one gets assigned it. It's right. a specialty task that you have to do another interview for and another mm -hmm. application fee and to move to that position. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole other screening process for that. And what's what's you as a patrol cop? I'm assuming then, and what's your relationship with IA? Are they like? Is it like because you see in the movies like oh these fuckers and like, you know, that kind of thing. Like, you know, what, what is that dynamic like? Well, I mean, you understand, you understand that they have a job and that I don't think any of us have ill will towards them, but at the same time, yeah, I think, um, I think you guard yourself of what you say and do when they're walking around the hallways for sure. Right. Right. Yeah. So I've, I've been investigating like one official investigation on myself. Um, and then one that almost turned into investigation. Um, both were, well, I guess the, the first one was unfounded, and the second one, um, I'm sure I can talk about it, is um, I parked at the wrong spot at the hospital responding to a call. Oh, wow. so, so just to show you, you know, how seriously they take it. That I becomes a, an internal investigation? Right, because I parked, because I was responding to a call, I parked ne not in the handicap, but next to the handicap spot. And then I rushed mm. in to go help out. Well, end up being, I end up being there for maybe two hours while we we're dealing with this person inside. And one, I guess one of the, the staff claimed that, you know, I shouldn't be parking close to the handicap spot. So there was an entire investigation about it, which, you know, I did to it. I'm like, yeah, I parked there, but you know, guess what? There was an emergency inside the hospital. I can park anywhere I want when there's an emergency going on to the hospital. You know, mm -hmm. um, their argument was, you know, after the initial emergency was over, I should have moved my vehicle. True, I was, I was basically really reprimanded. Said next time, move your car after the, you know, and you know that was pretty much it. But I mean, that's a pretty small deal, but investigation, yeah. And how and and are there? I'm just curious. Are, are there a particular kind of type of person that would be attracted to an an IA type role? Um, I think so. Um, generally, you know, uh, when you go to the police academy, they teach you uh, two sides of the law. Um, you know, there's the letter of the law um, and the spirit of the law. Mm -hmm. So you know, the letter of the law obviously is very uh, rigid. 
adheres to, you know, penal codes and, and whatnot. Um, and then the spirit of the law is kind of, okay, yes, we, you know, the law was broken, but what's the right thing? What's the moral side of the, you know, the aspect to, mm -hmm. to do? And as a police officer, you're not supposed to adhere to one or the other, but do your best to walk the line, you know, uh, fulfill the justice of the written law, but, ha but you are allowed a human aspect to it, use it wisely. And I mm -hmm. think people that are attracted to the IA um, realm would probably be people closer that adhere to the letter of the law and, you know, tightly what's right and what's wrong. I can see that being a massive source of conflict then, right? Like, yeah. you know, and so then like, I would assume that someone like your response would be then to make sure you lean more closely towards the letter of the law, just to cover your own ass, even though it might not be the morally right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I mean, luckily our department, um, I do work with a lot of great people and the, um, the atmosphere is one of helping each other and of learning and when mistakes are made, you know, they expect you to be honest about it, but it's not how, you know, this is how we're going to screw you over. It's okay. This is what you need to do. This is how, what you need to do to fix it. Let's start fixing it. You know, it, so um, I, I do enjoy my police department where I feel that the, the people above me are not looking to screw me over, are looking to make me a better police officer, which was something different than uh, I was a reserve officer in California for three years. And although I was just a reserve officer and never out on my own, the, the feeling I got was sink or swim. To be, I felt like I was thrown out into patrol and they wanted to see if I could make it on my own or I would fail. And anytime I talked to anybody, it, it felt like a test to see if I could make the cut. Where when I moved to this department, everyone was, you know, even on training, even when, you know, on training, everyone was like, if you have any questions, even if you don't know what to write, here's my phone number. You know, you're out on a call, you don't know what to do, call us, you know, mm -hmm. we'll help you, we'll talk you through it. My, you know, the, my, my immediate supervisor is a sergeant, you know, I have his number. If there's any question on what to do, you know, I, I take a moment. I let the other officers stand by whoever. I go back to my car. I'll call my sergeant, say, this is what I got, you know, and they can um, help me through it if I, if I had any questions. Uh, we also have a pretty good um, relationship with the uh, city attorney. So if there are any, this is really more of a not on the spot thing, but if there was any questions or maybe we, uh, we did something, but we weren't sure about it, we, um, the sergeant will email or call the city prosecutor and our own uh, internal attorney and say, you know, whether it was right or wrong. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely some oversight. Yeah. So that's, uh, it sounds good. The, the, you said city attorney, city prosecutor, that, that's the same, that's the same person. How does that work? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's funny, a lot of people don't understand uh, that, you know, they can't, uh, a civilian can't press charges, and neither does law enforcement. The only person that actually uh, charges somebody is the city attorney. Mm -hmm. um, so we build a case about it, and we might arrest them for it, but all mm -hmm. that gets sent to the city attorney, and the city attorney decides whether they're going to prosecute on it. Um, and, and we also have, like I said, a, a lawyer that uh, for the department as well that works with the city prosecutor. 
on on certain laws and under interpreting the law right and i mean that's something that i've heard a lot is like you know cops saying that well we arrest these people and then we send them over to the prosecutor and then just they're just released and nothing happens and it, that gets frustrating it is it is um you know and there's you know like it's like we were talking about as far as letter of the law and spirit of the law i you know i don't know all the ins and outs of being a city attorney or prosecutor but it sounds like they have a lot more freedom to pick and choose what laws they're they're going to enforce and what laws mm-hmm. they're not going to enforce you know if whether they feel that they can win the case you know maybe that's a big determination whether they're going to even try to prosecute on a person whether you know whether the case was egregious or not but they definitely you know just an example um, in the state of Arizona marijuana is still a felony mm-hmm. however uh, they'll only charge them for a felony if it's over two pounds that's a lot that's a lot so that rarely comes up so, you know, I mean, the law and says... I guess, and I guess people know that too, right? So they make sure they keep it under that limit. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I understand that basically once you're at the two-pound range, most likely you're a, a dealer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's why they're going after that person. Right. So, you know, I guess they have the, um, the latitude to, you know, pick and choose. They, even though it's on the books for state law that it's a felony, that they are only going right. to charge it as a misdemeanor and you can make that. That's decision. interesting, right? Like that's, yeah, that is like... It's such a really powerful role, actually. It's a, it, is that, it's an elected official, right? There's an election for prosecutor? That I don't know. I, I, yeah, honestly, I don't know. No. But because I mean, that, that is like, there's a lot of power there, right? And what, what gets prosecuted or not. Like, so you guys still have to arrest someone for, for minor, smaller amounts of marijuana? Well, because we, we because we have been instructed that by uh, the city um, it we have been given the latitude to um, cite and release for the misdemeanor charge uh-huh. so, so is um, that a fine or it will, or well what it, is the citation what is that exactly so the, the citation would be um, for the use of the drug and it would have a um, a date for their court appearance Got it. Yeah. And so, so basically, you know, if I arrest somebody, I take them to jail, they go see the judge the next day, the judge, you know, gives an initial hearing. And after they see the judge, you know, most likely they can uh, contact a bail bondsman and uh, post bail until the trial, the official mm-hmm. trial. Mm-hmm. When I cite somebody, basically, we skip all that process. I cite mm-hmm. them and give them a court date. And then they're supposed to show up for that court date to see the judge for that trial. So it really just mitigates them from being in jail for that month until their court date. Mm-hmm. So a but, month, like wait, wait. You said normally you say set them like they'll see the judge the next day if they're arrested. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so that, that's that's the step that you're skipping by just doing a citation, but they still have to show up in court. Right. Um, and they don't have to post bail. Right. Yeah. Okay. Got it. So I'm wondering, like, when this George Floyd thing happened, mm-hmm. what 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 were your feelings and what was the, so the, like the atmosphere in your department? You know, I think, I, I think I remember viewing it on my way to work, you know, and I didn't quite watch the entire video. Uh, mm-hmm. I think a lot of on Facebook, a lot of it had it, you know, like blocked or, you know, for, only mm-hmm. for 18 or older. I, so I didn't watch it. I don't think in its entirety for a few days afterwards, you know, I just mm-hmm. heard the narrative that, 
know, he was uh, stepping on the guy's neck and uh, that the guy died from it. So, and then, you know, of course, the narrative of it being racially motivated and which, you know, is entirely a possibility. I don't know the guy. I don't know the other guy. Um, I just don't like how it's immediately jumped to that because the officer is one color and because the person's the other color, it must be because of the, that, you know? Right. People are way more complicated to, than that. And I, and I think later on it kind of proved that because I, you know, I heard that they, they work together as bartenders, or bar, not bartenders, uh, bouncers at a bar. Mm -hmm. So there, there wasn't a relationship, you know? So right. maybe they didn't get along. Maybe they hit each other. Maybe that was the motivation rather than race. We don't know. Sure. I'm totally open to investigation and to look at that as a possibility, but not to label it immediately just for, for news, you know, mm -hmm. likes. Yeah. So the as far as the atmosphere around the department, I mean, we, everyone that I talked to was ashamed and, you know, said that was wrong and it was going to be wrong and that he was most likely going to, you know, get arrested for it. The only really part of the clip that I watched was the guy when he was saying, you know, he couldn't breathe, he couldn't breathe. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's kind of a saying that, you know, it, if you can talk, you can breathe because mm -hmm. obviously air is coming out. Now I'm sure he was panicking and, um, and rightly so. And I'm still, I've heard that there's been three, you know, autopsies. So I haven't even heard of the, the total con conclusive, you know, ending to all that of what his cause of death was. But definitely what he did was wrong. And, you know, I've gone to two academies, in the, one in California, one in Arizona. And that, that's not something that's taught. And in fact, that's something that they teach against that um, at times when you're going up to somebody to put the handcuffs on them, you can uh, rest your, your, not your knee, but your, your shin, I would say, from their shoulder to basically, you know, the, the small of the back. And they tell you, be careful not to put your leg or your body weight on somebody's throat or, you know, even if it's the back of the neck, because you could cause damage or, or break their spine. If, you know, some cops are kind of overweight and heavy and they could really hurt somebody. So you're supposed to keep all of the weight on, uh, on the balls of your feet and then, you know, rest your leg on the person while you're handcuffing them. And what that does is it kind of uses your leg as a tuning fork. So as the person struggles or moves, you can feel where their body's going and, and act record accordingly, you know, whether they're trying to flip to the left, flip to the right, you know, a way to feel it so you can act upon it and also hold them down while, you know, you're trying to use both your hands to put the person in handcuffs. But there's no, no nothing in either police department or police academy that I've gone to where they teach that as a viable, you know, tactic to sit there. And I've dealt with, uh, you know, a lot of uh, people were talking about excited delirium, which is, has killed people in the past. And it's where a person handcuffed um, because of drugs or mental illness or anything else in their system, they panic and they have a heart attack and die. And it's not really because of what the officer did it's more because again of them being confined the confinement and their heart you know, beating out of control it's called excited delirium and we've learned about that in in both academies and a step you take is to you know try and calm them down and put them in uh, a recovery position uh, which would allow them to not have any weight on their chest so they can breathe freely you know and you know and i've dealt with that i've dealt with that in the probably in the past month you know, I had a, a chase where after I caught the guy, 
I put handcuffs on him, and as soon as I turned him over, he was passed out and foaming at the mouth, you know. And, you know, first thing you do is, like I said, you put it, you lay him on his side, and you, you move his legs and arms in a way that um, uh, optimizes their breathing. Obviously, we, ca we called the paramedics, and then I just, you know, uh, we talked with them. Uh, I called another officer over who has Narcan which is a drug that helps if the guy was overdosing from drugs, help brings him back. He administered Narcan. The guy started to come out of it. And, you know, we talked with him until, until paramedics arrived. And now he did, as soon as he came out of it because of the Narcan, he immediately started fighting. He immediately started thrashing his body, kicking. Um, and, you know, it took maybe three officers to hold him in place. But, you know, again, we just tried to keep him on his side and tried to keep him comfortable, tell him, hey, you know, please don't struggle the paramedics are going to come here and check you out be nice to them so you know i think what what the officer did is just you know of just sitting there for you know how many minutes was was not something that uh, law enforcement teaches and not something that all law enforcement should be judged on either you know i mean we, we got to remember that people are individuals everyone's an individual and you know everyone we have no idea what's going on in anyone's head, what their motivations are. Um, th there's a huge screening process for police officers, but you never know that when that police officer is dealing with a divorce or dealing with kids or dealing right. you know, with financial issues, and then he has somebody in front of his face disrespecting him uh, you know, or somebody attacks him, you know, whether that's the day that this perfect storm you know, meets right. and then that officer snaps and goes too far and abuses his authority. You know, was that was that an indication that he was a bad person? Was it an indication that it was a, a momentary lapse in judgment? You know, I can't make that call, but you know, we should be looking at a lot of more factors than what we do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was the thing that made me so sad about that. Right? Like, for two days, everybody were united in agreement that this is this is bad, and yeah. and that's not the kind of thing that we want to see. And then people jump to this and like. I think probably driven a lot by media, right? That it's got to be, but I mean, the media is tapping into something, but like it's got to be racially motivated, which yeah. there's zero, zero evidence for that. It may have been, right? It may well have been, who knows? It may well have been, yeah. But it doesn't, it doesn't seem like it makes it any easier to solve. Yeah. What are you, what's your ethnicity, if you don't mind? Um, I'm, I'm a mutt. <laughs> a mutt, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I would say uh, my mom is, uh, Mexican with a lot of it's Spanish blood and my dad is predominantly Italian with some French Canadian in there and then you know, a dash of some, a lot of other stuff I, I would assume but um, you know generally when people ask me you know what I am I just I usually just tell them I'm an American you know that's my that's my ethnicity you know yeah I mean if we can't rally behind that as a people then I mean, if you study history, like the fall of Rome and everything, it's when a, when a civilization loses its identity and can't rally around its, the, their own citizenship, mm -hmm. they crumble. And, and I think that's where we're headed, you know? Yeah. We both have the American flag in the background. <laughs> <laughs> it's so interesting for me as a, as a foreigner, right, as a Danish citizen, to come here and see that sort of like, even the fact that like, like having the American flag is like, or showing the American flag is, has become divisive, right? It's like, yeah, yeah. I, I've, heard, I've heard people say, you know, even even as go as far as professors and schools have taken the American flag down and saying it's oppressive. You know, 
I'm like, how are you a teacher and you call the, 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 the flag oppressive when, you know, it, the, they tell you what the flag means, you know, what the 13 stripes mean, what the, you know, the, the red means, what the white means, what the blue means. None of it means oppression. You might have associated it with it, but who gets to judge what something is? The people who made it and designed it or, the, or you who just has an opinion of it, you know? Right. At least give a benefit of the doubt. You know, and you can say, you know, just like any culture in the history of any nation, you know, there's, there's no one that stands without incident. No, one, no nation that has lived a virtuous life from this foundation and has just been this peaceful entity, you know? We all, every country has this dark past of atrocities, but I wouldn't represent the United States as a whole as being a dictatorship that have oppressed other people. I would consider it the opposite of a nation that has, you know, uplifted more countries than any other. So, but like I said, you know, but I'm not blind to the fact that, you know, the United States has its flaws, that um, we've, we've hurt people, we've done horrible things, you know. And, you know, part of that falls on me as a citizen to, to take that blame. I'm not leaving this country, so I need to accept the blame, you know. Right. Yeah. I, I want to touch on, I want, I want people to, he was like, I, you know, um, well, here's, I wanted people to connect with what it feels like to be a cop in this, in this climate when this stuff happens, right? Like, have you, have you, like every day you go out there and you, your life is, literally at risk right every day something might happen yeah that could threaten your life is that is that fair is that true yeah there's a possibility you know i try we try not to i try not to leave the door you know angry <laughs> i try not to leave the house after fighting with my wife or having a big discussion before i leave because i mm. i don't want you know the last conversation me and my wife or kids have to be on a negative note so that, that definitely wow. is a thought you know when i leave the house every day that I get tears in my eyes. That touches me. Yeah. Just did, has that gotten worse after during this period with, um, no, I mean, you know, obviously, I mean, you you know, Deanna, she's a special girl. We, we have a good relationship and, um, you know, if the worst were to happen, you know, I know she would, she would deal with it. Obviously, I'm, I'm happy that my parents are together and that they would be there to support her as well as her parents. Um, and it's not something we've really sat down and talked to until recently. Mm. Um, it's definitely been a thought in our heads. She's worried that more that basically I'm going to not do my job because of fear of being labeled a racist or, or a, you know, um, are getting arrested and Tell then that's, that. that's going to lead to my death. Um, just, you know, we were talking about the, uh, the two officers that shot the gentleman with the taser mm-hmm. and, you know, she, she was just saying, you know, again, that she's worried that, you know, if, if in those kind of situations that I would hesitate um, mm-hmm. to protect myself because I would be scared that I would, you know, be on trial for murder and she would hate, to put the kids through that as far as seeing, you know, their dad who has been all their life trying to teach them right from wrong. And now their dad's, you know, being put on trial for murder for trying to do his job. So I think that's honestly, I think uh, when you talk to police officers, that's probably a bigger fear for police officers. I think a police officer 
has less of a fear of putting their life on the line for, for citizens and more of a fear of going to jail <laughs> and having to be put away with all the people that they help put there, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure, you know, not every cop that's been arrested gets murdered in jail, but I'm sure they, they live with the constant fear that, you mm-hmm. know, someone's going to hurt them while they're there. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. And, thought of that but that makes sense one of the things that i've heard and i did let me know if this if there's truth to this is like as a as a cop these days you're more likely to actually pull your punches as it were when it when it comes to a black person because because there's that fear that like if you do something wrong there it might be get blown up oh, versus sure. yeah i definitely feel that and now where i am the black population is very small um you know i would say maybe a, a hundred or 200 people. Um, I, they're definitely not the bulk of the people I come in contact with. Um, generally it's white or Hispanic is the, the predominant races in the city, but definitely on the, on the occasions that I have dealt with black uh, people that, 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 that always is in the back of your head. How is this going to be looked at by other people? Mm-hmm. And, you know, in one such instance, there was, uh, a gentleman who uh, he shoplifted, he stole uh, from a store. Um, definitely, uh, I didn't know this at the time until I sp- kind of spoke with him, but he definitely had some some mental illness going on. You know, he wasn't right, uh, right in the head. I came across him at a park walking from where he stole from. And, uh, you know, I, I was just trying to talk him, you know, talk to him uh, until other officers showed up because this guy was probably had 100 pounds on me. He was a big kid probably in his early 20s. And I was nervous because as I'm dealing with him, uh, you know, I noticed uh, a park table, uh, well, a basketball court next to a park table right around there. And and most of the people playing basketball were black. And so I, you know, I I noticed them all watching. I noticed them coming and, and getting closer as I'm just talking to this guy, thinking that, oh, because I'm talking to this guy, at least this is, you know, my own impression. I don't know their hearts. I don't know what they were thinking. But I was, I was wondering in the back of my head, are they thinking that I'm harassing this guy? Are they thinking that, you know, I'm going to abuse this guy, you know? And um, eventually the guy said, no, I'm leaving and tried to run away. Now, I had, I had to try to stop him. Um, you know, again, he was probably 100 pounds on me. And I was able to keep him in place and, you know, kind of keep him from going anywhere else until another officer showed up and you know of course as soon as we put uh we touched the guy you know uh, other people came closer and you know made made some comments of you know that what we were doing was wrong and um you know I, I tried after the after we had him in handcuffs we tried calming him down because again he did have mental illness so he was i don't know how much he was understanding of what was going on and we were trying to explain it to him but we were also trying to explain it to the people walking over Hey, this guy just stole, you know, over a hundred dollars worth of stuff. He's not, he's not free to go. He's not free to leave. He tried to leave. That's why we put him in handcuffs. You know, if, if he would have cooperated, if he would have just stood there, the officer would have probably talked with him uh, that, you know, the officer coming from the, um, the, the place uh, would have talked with him and maybe because of his mental illness, wouldn't even have given him a ticket at all after explaining to the the shop owners, hey, this guy's not all the way, you know, all all the way right. Do you want to prosecute? You know, and if they said no, then we would have just let him go. If they said yes, we would have, again, we would have given him a ticket. 
the only reason why he had to get put in handcuffs was because he tried to leave the, the custody of being det uh, my detention of keeping him there. But because of that, because we actually touched him, you know, I, I saw the crowd forming and I saw their opinion of me doing something wrong just because of the colors of both of our skins. So, yeah, does that, does that level of scrutiny and that, like, thought going through your mind of, like, how this would play make you a better cop or, or uh, is it, does it make it harder to do your job properly? I think, I think it, w it does make us a better cop because, I mean, you know, some officers don't like body cams. Some officers love body cams because, you know, it offers protection as well as mm -hmm. evidence against you, you know. Mm -hmm. And either way, it definitely makes you more aware of your actions. And I think, um, you know, I think as officers, we should be. It, it might not be the comfortable thing. It might not keep my mind at ease. But, you know, that's not the job I signed up for. So, you know, it's fine that uh, people are scrutinizing. It's fine that I get filmed um, by people's, you know, phones. Uh, hopefully they play the, the entirety of the video and not chop it up to make it look like I'm the bad guy. But... I think as police officers, we have moved from more, I mean, I was just watching an episode of Cops from the 70s, you know, with my son, my oldest son, Silas. And, uh, you know, they, the first sign that the guy was non-compliant, the, the officer, you know, grabbed his throat, threw him down on the ground, put handcuffs on him. And I kind of went back, I'm like, oh, I wouldn't have done that for, you know, for what he did. Right. So I think, you know, we have moved away from being a, a presence of physical dominance to what we would call verbal judo and using our words to get what we want rather than our physical force. We still have that physical force if needed, but, we do, but as, a, as, as, you know, as an organization, we've moved away from that being our first step and more in the trying to talk people out. And I enjoy that. That's, that's actually the, the, I think, I tell my wife, that's the funnest part of the job. When I arrest somebody, drop them off at, j at the jail, and they thank me for it. They're like, thank you, officer. I appreciate it. And, you know, I take that like that. You know, I just took away your freedom. I just, you know, and now you might go to jail for a while, and you've just thanked me for what I did. You know, to me, that's, that's a satisfaction from the job. Of, and yeah, also, why, why do they thank you in that situation? Generally because, I mean, I guess I view it as the criminal, oddly enough, is kind of like, a coworker, you know, mm -hmm. they're, they're part of the job and you work with them. And when the handcuffs are on and the danger's over, I treat them, you know, like a, like a person, you know, I, I don't belittle them. Even if they're, you know, does something horrible, horrendous or rape or child molestation, it's internally, I'm thinking this guy's, you know, uh, a piece of something, but, but externally, you know, I'll still, say please and thank you when i take him to the cell will you please step in there thank you take off the handcuffs all right thank you for you know for not being belligerent thank you for not being you know uh giving me a hard time thank you for telling me the truth if they you know told me what actually happened so i generally i think that's why they they'll thank me because i've treated them like a, a person instead of you know a criminal for that time yeah what about the the people resisting arrest like that seems to be like a thing that that more often than not causes conflicts like yeah well more so than i mean even them um you know i've i've been assaulted uh before and you know generally i might not 
talk with them as much. Um, you know, uh, we have a voice recorder I'll turn on and I'll still be polite to them. I mean, like I said, they're in handcuffs. The danger to me is... Right, right. No, I mean, yeah, I, I think more interesting, like what, what I'm thinking is like that, like if people just across the board would just stop resisting arrest, yeah. like how much, how, how much of the problem would that solve right there? I would say at least 90% of the problem it would go away, right. you know? Right. I mean, there, there is, I mean, again, I'm, I don't have rose colored glasses to where I think every police officer is, is uh, perfect. You know, we wish they were, we want them to be, but at the end of the day, they're humans. Are there bad people that slip through the cracks? There mm -hmm. are. Um, the police department takes huge steps to mitigate that with background checks, psyche valves, you know, um, several um, interviews, you know, but there are always going to be bad apples in the bunch. You know, we, we should always work to having that zero, having that number at zero with the knowledge that it's never going to be zero. You're never going to be, you know, we're never going to be perfect. Yeah. So on that note, like how, how would you, would you rate how well you're doing and like, what's the sort of the next thing that needs to happen to bring that number further down? I think, you know, it would be good to have, officers have a counselor at the police, a full-time counselor at the police department mm -hmm. and not a position where, you know, you go in when you, you know, when you're feeling low, but like it has to like scheduled from the get go where like, you know, right. every month, you know, you have a scheduled appointment with a counselor um, just so that you have that oversight of somebody um, having knowledge of your personal life. Cause a lot of times officers, you know, do keep people out of their business. You know, like I had a coworker who's going through a divorce. I didn't know for, you know, until the divorce was finalized that he was going through issues with his wife. You know, so that might not be something he wants to show share with his, his brothers, but you know, maybe with a counselor with the department, he, they could divulge that stuff. And then, you know, that counselor can make a determination without compromising, you know, um, even what has to be said to say, Hey, this person, you know, is going through stuff. It might not be the best time for this person to be, you know, working the gang unit right now because <laughs> he's a little amped up and he has a lot of stuff going on in his personal life or, you know, maybe he's had a family member that just died, you know? So with that role might help at least those officers that, you know, snap because of, of everything going on in their life. I mean, I mean the, I, I think the alcoholic rate for police officers is super high. The domestic violence rate for police officers are high. The suicide rate for police officers are high. The cancer rate for police officers are high. So, right. you know, um, there's a lot of things going on that, that officers live with stress 24 seven. Right. Have you got, have you thought like, is there, have you personally or, or people in your, that you know of in the profession, like rethinking the wisdom of being a cop these days, like the pay is not phenomenal and like <laughs> people are really pissed and, you know, well, you're kind of being lumped together a lot of times, right? Like all oh, cops are bad, like that yeah. whole thing. Yeah. I mean, again, you know, I know my family um, knows the truth and, and knows what I do and why I do it. And, you know, that's a motivation for me to, stay above board, you know, other than the fact that just my parents instilled that in me and, and my faith in God. But I think a lot of the officers, I haven't heard of any officers from my department that are quitting over this. However, at this time, it feels like our city has our back. 
you know, I don't hold it against any officer in those cities where their governments has totally thrown them under, under the bus. And I would imagine if, if my city did that and took actions, you know, if my city came out and said that they were going to defund the police officers and eventually we're all going to get removed, I'd probably quit the next day. Um, because yeah, I, this, this profession can't work without the people above us, you know, having our backs and protecting us because, you know, police officers need protection too. We need protection uh, from people, you know, telling us that what we did is right and, you know, and protecting us when we're on that line because we're not civilians and we do have authority that they don't have. And uh, we have, you know, and anybody can um, quarterback it and say, you know, well, you know, you shouldn't have used a nightstick. You should have used, um, you know, pepper spray or you should have done this. You should have done that. But, you know, when somebody, I'm, I'm imagining like the support of the community as well, right? I mean, you can't do your job without their cooperation. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, you know, and, and I should say that there, we did have, um, we, we, we didn't have any riots. We did have the protesters out on the main city corners with signs and, mm-hmm. and yelling things. And, and I actually also had people come up to me and, you know, sometimes they'll motion to me while I'm in my patrol vehicle to roll the window down and, and, you know, sometimes I'm like, okay, what are they going to say? You know, but like the last one, you know, said, you know, we support you. We love you. I drove by those protesters and I flipped them all off. You know, how dare they say that about our police? And I'm like, well, I appreciate that. Please don't flip them off because I don't want them to like rush you or assault you. But, you know, I do appreciate right. your support. Yeah. Yeah. No, so, because uh, I mean, that's something that I hear also when it gets like back to the the racial thing, right? Where, where like in blacks neighborhoods, they're, they're told that cops are bad and then like you're not gonna gonna help the cops actually police the area and keep crime out yeah yeah i i definitely think that's a it's a cultural thing to distrust the police officers and i'm not saying it's not backed in in um in fact you know again you know, when you see reports of of officers in the 70s and 80s and and sure the 90s and even today um, there are officers um, that have harassed uh, black uh, citizens. And again, but even that, even blatant harassment, um, I would w- want to look at all the factors. Is Does this police officer has, you know, I was talking with a coworker. Um, um, again, I'm in the National Guard and one of my uh, good friends is, is a black man in the National Guard who serves with me. And he was talking about, you know, times where a black person uh, walks through a white neighborhood and gets stopped by the police. police. Um, you know, I, I've never seen that or experienced that. You know, again, we don't really have a black neighborhood in my town, though. They, you know, there's, there's not a central location for them. They live anywhere. But I haven't heard of that. I have, I have police officers in, in major cities in California. And, you know, I've, I've never heard of that. Um, with that being said, you know, I, and I told him, even if that's true, you know, what are the factors? Did he stop that gentleman purely because he doesn't like black people? That, you know, that to me would be blatant racism. Did he stop him because that's an area where, you know, drugs are being sold and he looks like somebody who sells drugs and they, they want to go out and talk with them? You know, I wouldn't say that would be racist and that might be profiling. Mm-hmm. Um, but in our possession, in our career, we all do profile to a certain degree. I mean, you know, if, mm-hmm. if I roll up on a case and, you know, I see uh, a person who 
dresses like a gang member, I'm going to assume he's a gang member, you know, to a certain extent. Um, you know, we, as cops, we have to recognize certain indicators of colors of gangs and hand signs, tattoos on their arm. You know, he might, maybe he was a gang member who reformed and now he's, you know, the neighborhood watch person who's totally turned his life around, you know, but if he has certain tattoos, I'm going to make an assumption. And, you know, should we as a society make assumptions on people? Probably not. Do cops use assumptions to better do their job? They do. When it, you know, it comes down to it. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think that's, yeah, it's, a, it's such a crazy thing. Like, of course you do. Like, that's that's what humans do. And also, like, it would be crazy not to, right? Like, you, like again, it's an assumption. Mm -hmm. But, but and then you have to, to verify, right? But, like, if yeah. you're, like, if you have to, like, treat every single person, like, you know, an 80-year-old grandmother is, like, she might be a gang member. You never know, right? Like, it's, like, <laughs> she's not very efficient. Right. Um, exactly. Yeah. What about one of the other things? I'll let you go soon. I don't know if you have a timeline that you need to. Oh, no. to run as much time as you want. All right, awesome. Like I'm, I'm enjoying this, uh, and learning so much. One of the things I hear is that, like unions. I heard someone say specifically, like, police unions, like a large part of the, out of the code or the, the whatever it is. I don't know. I don't know the the term here. But is is about protecting cops from being being. Um, sued, investigated, charged, like that kind of thing. Yes. I mean, I do belong to a police union. There are, there are several different unions. You know, generally each state has a union um, and there's broader ones, a national union as well. Now, part of your dues that you pay to your union do pay for, for you know, they go towards a, a, a lawyer and retention. So, I mean, yes, their job is to protect you to an extent. I mean, if I egregiously murder somebody, they're not going to come out and say what I did was right, but they will still send a, le a lawyer to represent me. That's how, you know? how our legal system works. It's supposed to work that way, right? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's part of, again, part of the dues that I pay for that. Now, they do help in, 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 um, in cases, say, even if I do a, um, in a violation, a policy or something like that, like, for an internal investigation, I do have the option of, of calling them and they will send out somebody to, you know, sit next to me and, and kind of, you know, walk me through the process of the internal investigation of what I have to say and what I don't. Um, you know, one of, the weird, one of the weird things is police officers don't have the right to remain silent. Hmm. Um, if I'm in a, if I'm, you know, if, if I'm as a police officer accused of something I either very much have, if I don't speak and tell them everything, you know, uh, um, tell them everything about it, my option is to quit. The, the investigation will still happen, but I don't have the uh, option of staying silent and saying, I'm not going to, you know, talk about this. You do your investigation, but I'm not going to say anything. I don't have that option because I'm still an employee. And as an employee, I have to um, divulge everything, you know, that happened. So, so. Yeah, you either cooperate or, or you quit, but you can't be silent. And anything you say uh, can get used against you, uh, e even to the federal degree. So, you, you know, in those cases where the officer is, knows he's wrong, and a lot of the times they will quit because they don't want to incriminate themselves in that conversation when it goes to court. So... So that's, so that's a tell if they quit. 
<laughs> not, not always. Not always. It could just be, you know, lose yeah. faith. Uh, lose faith in the organization. Actually, right. I just had a, a, a coworker quit, and he had um, he had probably th- three internal investigations on him uh, for more of his civilian life. Um, mm. You know, unfortunately, he he doesn't he didn't do a good job with relationships, and he separated from his wife. So his wife, you know, uh, came to the department and complained on him and and said you know some things about him that. Uh, caused an investigation and then uh, when he left his new girl and went back to his wife the new girl came into the police department and complained about him <laughs> so um, after that even though all the the complaints were for personal reasons and he was shown to be you know uh, that they're unfounded he felt that the police department as a whole had lost faith in him and they were looking for his next mistake to fire him and just feeling that weight over his shoulders of, of you know, the next time I screw up for anything, they're going to let me go. They're going to use it as an excuse to let me go. He just decided to quit and go, go somewhere where he, you know, didn't have that, that bad blood, I guess you would say, or, or the people thinking of him in a certain way. So, you know, there are instances where officers decide to quit, and it's not because of wrongdoing necessarily. The defund the police, that, that whole thing that's, that people are calling for now. Yeah. Like, what? What are your thoughts? I, I, I don't understand. <laughs> I just don't understand the mindset, and I'm willing to, you know, hear and understand. It's not like the criminals are going to take a vacation. Crime is going to go on, and you know the answer is community policing. But now you're having people do it that aren't trained that haven't gone through hours that aren't accountable to people i just don't see what they actually envision and how it's going to work and whatever they do come up with eventually it's going to mutate into the police department eventually it's going to mutate into law enforcement i mean that's the only way it it, it can go and so i just i mean i understand if you have a, a entirely corrupt organization of police officers the need to wipe them away and hire new people. But th- there's the solution might look different, but it's going to pr- do the same function. So what's the point, you know? Right. And yeah, I've been thinking about that. Like, maybe, is it a play to basically like outmaneuver police unions? Because it'd be all the same work, right? You just don't call them police officers anymore. And so it's a different that, union. Is that the. That, yeah. You know, as far as I understand, that's they want to replace them with you know they don't want police officers with guns to you know go to these these smaller calls is one of the steps you know and we have that we have non-sworn officers who um, show and they don't they wear you know um, a lighter blue uniform and they uh, they don't have a gun on them they they do have a taser to protect themselves and they used to not have a taser but one of them got a, uh, got attacked so now they have tasers. But they would go and they respond to, you know, um, thefts where there's no suspect, even burglaries where there's no evidence. They'll go there and they'll dust fingerprints. They'll take the statements. They'll get the list of things were stolen. So we have people like that that deal with, um, you know, nonviolent, non-crimes. And that helps the police officers, the ones that with the guns, to respond more to the higher priority calls. You know, but if they're not around, um, we are still obligated to take those calls as well. So they're definitely a help and a benefit to us, and we really appreciate what they do. Right. 
Have um, they improved relationship with the with the community, or doesn't really make a difference? Um, I think so. You know, sometimes sometimes they'll get attitude. They'll be like, "No, I want a real cop to show up." You know, they don't <laughs> think they're good enough. Oh yeah, but they do an excellent job, and they they do. They, their their caseload is gen sometimes higher than us, you know, to where, you know, I may take one or two reports a night, you know, sometimes they'll have like six reports in a day. So, you know, they, they, they work hard and they, they don't get the respect that police officers do. So hats off to them. Right. So uh, be, some people are saying like that, that the police, I guess it was, there would be specific police departments, right, that they're rotten to the core is like one of the things that I've heard. Is that something that you re can recognize? Uh, you mean in, in, in those departments or my own? They just, yeah, I mean, it doesn't sound like yours is that way at all, right? right? Yeah. Um, no, I mean, again, you never know. I mean, there, some people like to climb the ladder for, for the whole you know, status of being at the top. Some people are there to serve, you know, and mm -hmm. um, again, we have to look at the, their individual, the, the individuals. Um, every department has yearly training. I mean, there's, I guess that's the most offensive thing that I hear when, they, when, what I think of when people say, excuse me, all cops are racist. I'm just like, if you only knew how much classes I've had how many seminars I've gone through, how many web classes I've taken, how many online courses I've done on, you know, treating people with respect, on, uh, you know, um, on equality with people and on just putting kids' gloves on people and mitigating any kind of violence and all this stuff. You know, we have classes on, on how to be nice to mentally ill people. We have classes on how to be nice to the LBGTQ community. We have classes on minorities, we have classes, you know, on identifying people's needs, and, and you know, it, I mean, there's just, there's a, there's so many things we come across, I mean, just something that maybe you never thought of, I mean, I've arrested a guy with one arm before, mm -hmm. how do you put handcuffs on somebody with one arm, mm -hmm. kind of difficult, so, you know, there's all these different circumstances that come across where you have to work at and not offend the person, you don't want to bring attention. I'm sorry, sir, you have one arm, so I'm going to have to tie a rope around your body so I can handcuff your one arm behind your back. You know, there's just all these things that people could be offended for, but we, the police department as a whole spends gobs of money trying to give us the tools to do it right. And if you're trying to defund the police department, my only assumption is that that money's going to go away on all that instruction to teach us what to do to do the right thing. Now, obviously, we should know what to do, the right thing. But all the money and training and scenarios to make us better police officers is going to go away. And so you're going to get worse police officers. And is, is that the point? Is that what you want? Do you want worse police officers? You want to pay cops less so people that are less qualified apply for the job? You know, I just don't see the point. Are there... Do cops generally get into the become cops just to harass black people <laughs> no I, <laughs> no no i i don't believe that's that the case whatsoever you know i mean and you know the academy the last academy i went to we actually had to write an essay on why we wanted to be police officers and you know it's kind of funny the, the police officers that wrote the i guess the status quo of i want to help people um generally the uh 
the cadre did kind of laugh at him a little bit. They're like, you will help people at this job. You will help people. But if you think, you know, if you're expecting to get thanked for it, you know, you might as well leave now because that, that's mm. not part of our job. You, you want to be thanked, go be a firefighter is what they say, mm. which I think is funny because firefighters, and I don't want to hurt any of my firefighter friends' feelings in this, but firefighters, because of their job, probably assault more people than police officers. Mm-hmm. And no one ever sues a firefighter. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when, when, the, you know, when, the person, when the firefighters are trying to help some of these guys, um, criminals or people on drugs or whatnot, the people, uh, the, you know, the person gets put in the back of the ambulance and they'll start, you know, flailing and trying to punch the firefighter. You know, there's firefighters that will knock the guy out, just punch him and knock the guy out. They never, they don't do a report on it. There's, there's no investigation. They never get, you know, the guy never comes by the next day and says the firefighter punched me in the eye, um, you know, and it just goes away. But because police officers, we get sent through the ringer, you know, which is kind of humorous. But. Yeah, I know uh, your wife told me that you were helped fight fires in California also a couple of years back. I did. Yeah, that was, that was an experience um, in itself. Um, I enjoy the National Guard and what I do there, um, but I'm definitely glad I'm my normal job is police officer. Right. Yeah. I just, I, I just felt like mentioning that because like the, I think a lot of people don't see the sacrifice that someone like you is doing for, for the community, for the country at large. Like you're really, you're really, you know, heavily invested into protecting people. Right. What, well, if you ask my wife, I mean, and, and let's not forget the spouses because I've definitely put my wife through a lot. You know, uh, my first police academy was 10 months long and, you know, Deanna had to uh, basically be a, a sole parent while I went to class, came home and studied for those classes, went to class, came home and studied for the classes. She had to, you know, work, uh, raise the children for that almost a year by herself to, to support me. So, you know, it's a family effort for sure. And it is hard. I'll admit it. It is hard. I mean, I think I've missed more anniversaries than I've made. I've missed more birthdays of hers than I've made. Um, Kids' birthdays, Christmas. And and births, right? Like how many? You have five kids. And how many of them did you see get born? I got to think about this. Um, <laughs> not all of them I've heard. <laughs> well, the first one I was deployed and I got to see uh, via Skype. So they, they hung a, uh, a laptop over her and I got to see that one. Um, I believe I was there for uh, two physically. And then um, I think, yeah, maybe two out of the five, maybe three out of the five. I definitely missed two. We'll say that. So. Because of work obligations, because of the National Guard, mainly, mainly National Guard, or yeah, well, yeah, the National Guard was was because of two. Then I was there for two, and then the other one was was Skype. So yeah, I guess three maybe. The last one I was I was working um, as a police officer when I had the last one, and um, she called the the department and i had already talked to my sergeant hey you know my wife's um she's gonna go in labor soon so as long as i'm not on a call you know if i get that call can i leave and and he said you know of course so i was actually on a a home invasion call and we had just 
we were uh, just talked to the people out of the home um, and put them in handcuffs. And then I got the call. So I was like, hey, uh, you got this? You know, you got these guys? And my sergeant's like, yeah, I got them. So I jumped in the car and took off. Um, so I was able to be there for that one. And that was fun. Let's hear that. Yeah. Well, what, what, how do you and your colleagues look at the bad cops when you see it? Well, you know, every, every instance is a, a learning. Um, a, 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 we can use it for learning and to teach. So generally, you know, most calls that happen that are videoed, we, uh, every day we have a briefing before we go to the street. And so usually the sergeant will bring that video up. We all watch the video and then we di dissect it. We talk, what did he do that was good? What did he do that was bad? What could you have done better? You know, even if what you did was justified, was it, was there something that would be better, you know, to mitigate the, you know, the outcry of people or to help you with your safety or, or whatnot, you know? You know, just an example, um, I went to, I responded to a call where it was a, par it was a bar parking lot fight and the, the suspect had already left. So we were talking with the victim who was sitting down in the parking uh, lot bleeding, you know, just eye and nose, nothing major. We, me and my partner were talking to the girlfriend and to witnesses to find the, the suspect. I don't know what happened, but this guy who was the victim stood up and went out, walked over, grabbed his girlfriend who was talking to the police officer, grabbed her by the hair and spun her around and threw her to the ground right in front of us. And now he was intoxicated, but I still don't understand the reason for it. Now, the other officer tried to defend the female and grabbed him and tackled him to the ground. And, you know, everything the officer did was, was above bar. However, there was 10 drunk people that were all this guy's family there. So him tackling him and punching him to subdue him and get handcuffs on, totally within, you know, policy and okay to do. But was that the smartest thing to do with 10 drunk family members watching? Because mm -hmm. those guys, everyone started closing in, you know, hey, get your hands off my brother kind of thing, you know, like that. So even those instances, we, we talk about, you know, was that the best thing? What could we have done? You know, uh, should we have used force in that situation? Was there other force we used? So as far as our opinion of, of these instances, you know, we, we dissect them. Was this, was this a bad, you know, thing? And if it was, you know, don't do it. <laughs> so we don't, you know, maybe as officers, we holds our judgment a little longer than the civilian population. When we, well, like when I hear, hey, you know, a cop in so-and-so place, you know, shot this guy for no reason. You know, I, I hold my judgment a little longer saying, well, let's listen to the facts. You know, let's, let's get the whole case before we make, you know, accuse this officer of, of being a murderer, you know. And I think we probably all do that. We wait, we wait for more facts before making a judgment. But if an officer clearly does something wrong, and there has been times where officers have done something clearly wrong, I don't, I've never found an officer that was supportive of that action, you know. And that, I think that's what frustrates me about this, you know, with the riots and with the people um, upset. Uh, I don't, who are they, you know, who, the, the police department are saying it's wrong, the city is saying it's wrong, they're being prosecuted, the public is saying it's wrong, no one is in defense of, of these officers, of the four officers, you know, 
no one's in defense of it. So who are you protesting against? Why are you burning down, you know, Walmarts and, and, and such in protests? Who are you protesting against? You're protesting against this imaginary, you know, canopy of law enforcement are bad, but it's just, it's not the case. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what makes me so, so sad about that situation too. It's like, it, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like it does anything to help. And I understand, um, I mean, like, you know, during the, the Rodney King beating, that was, you know, a bad thing. And the riots didn't, and I, and I wouldn't condone riots no matter what, you know, but I at least could understand where their head was at because mm -hmm. here are these police officers who abused their authority uh, got acquitted and didn't go to jail. And that's what, mm -hmm. you know, sparked the riots. But in mm -hmm. this case, we're not there yet. They are tried. Right. You know, they're being, getting, uh, he's getting tried for murder. Right. You know. On, on that note, so like I saw this, that, that the prosecutor upgraded the charge from a third degree murder to a second degree murder, which uh, after pressure from the public, which may actually cause the guy to get acquitted mm. because there's not evidence. Like, it, right. like it's a different, it requires different evidence, right? So right. And then like what actually happened, like, for second degree murder, you have to prove intent is what I understood. Right. And we don't have any evidence that there was intent here. Right. Yeah. And so because of that mob wanting to see a higher sentence, he may get tried for something that he can't be convicted of and then end up going free. Like, great yeah. job, everybody. Right. <laughs> like, well, and, and isn't that the whole point of our legal system to stop mob rule? You know, right. just, just because there's a mob outcry doesn't mean that the justice system should bend in any way. They are the establishment. They are that, that you know, that straight line that we need to de depend on. Right. Not we need to change the laws. Let's change the laws. Let's talk about that, right? Yeah. The, the court cannot be swayed by public or by emotion. They need to be steadfast and across the board, giving the mm -hmm. same sentence to the, you know, to the same crime mm -hmm. for anybody, you know, and so... Um, yeah, that's unfortunate that they would uh, change that. Um, now, you know, I don't know, you know, I hadn't heard that. So I don't know if they're thinking because of their prior relationship and because the guy, the officer, well, it might be the case, but, yeah. he might be purposely doing this to get back at him. And that's why they're going for it. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know the case. Um, but, I mean, but it would just be terrible if like he ends up getting acquitted because the prosecutor overstated the case. And then yeah. ends up losing it, and then like, what what's going to happen to the world then, right? Right. And again, it's going to—I don't know—because from I, and I and I just I'm hearing off of other people. I haven't researched it myself, so you know, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Um, but right. from what I've heard, one of the autopsies said heart attack. One of the autopsies mm -hmm. said basically drugs in the system, mm -hmm. and the other autopsy was like. Uh, um, what I mentioned earlier, you know, excited delirium, but none of them was because of the direct action of him putting, you know, the oh, yeah, that's what I've breath. that's what I've seen too. I yeah, don't think so, anybody, I don't think anybody cares <laughs> in, the, in the media, the public, like, overall. Well, you know, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if uh, um, I don't feel that we know enough to make his intentions that he intended to murder the guy. What he did right. definitely led to the guy dying. Right. And I don't mean to, to dismiss him by just call it, referring to him as the guy, um, Floyd. But, um, yeah, I just, I think we need to pull back a little bit, look at the facts, and not let our emotions guide. 
And uh, just one thing I did want to uh, talk about is, you know, I, and I mentioned this before all this happened months ago, I was having a conversation with officers because I was researching it for myself that our, there are cultural shift in truth and establishing what truth is and is truth applicable in our profession and culture these days. Because the shift in culture, um, you know, my parents grew up with absolute truth. There are things that are right and wrong, no matter, no matter of the opinion of the culture and no matter the opinion of the organization, you know, there are things that are right and wrong. That's what I was taught. And, you know, just an instance of that is, you know, slavery. Slavery is, is wrong. It doesn't matter that back when slavery was around, they didn't think they were doing something wrong. It was the society believed it was okay. So, you know, that's what I would say is a reason why society shouldn't dictate what is right and wrong because societies change. And, you know, you either have to admit that, that what they did, if you believe that, that society dictates what right and wrong is, then you would have to let all those people off the hook because at the time it wasn't wrong to them. It is to us now. And it would be unfair for us to judge that society on them in hindsight. Mm -hmm. So, and I don't agree with that. I believe that, you know, slavery is wrong across the board, no matter what, in all cultures. Right. So, um, but the, the truth, the, the definition of truth has degraded in today's society. Now it's, it's not what, what really is, it's your personal truth. Well, mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't matter that, you know, that that person didn't hit me. I felt assaulted, you know, mm -hmm. and we get that a lot. You know, so I'll have people say, he hit me, he assaulted me, he assaulted me. And, you know, that, that gives us an elevation in, in what we're doing, dealing with the person. And we, maybe we put him in handcuffs or, or something like that. And then we get to talking with her after she, she calms down or he calms down. Well, he didn't really hit me. I just felt like he was going to hit me. I felt assaulted by his words. And I'm like, well, that's not the right thing. What mm -hmm. actually happened? The truth matters. Mm -hmm. And, and today, um, people aren't worried about the truth anymore. They're worried about their personal truth. And their personal mm -hmm. truth is very subject to biases and right. you know, culture and everything else. And, and I, I think that's a shame. And if we don't return to some sort of, of real definition of truth in, in our culture, we're, we're going to see some problems like we're saying. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. Because like what you're talking about is, is people's feelings, right? And like, while people's feelings are a true statement about what they're feeling, <laughs> they're not a true statement of what's actually happening. Like, you know, right. you can feel uh, the, the stories like you, you're walking along a path and in the woods and you see this, this snake down by the side and you like, you get scared, right? You feel like fear and like <sighs> panic. And then you realize it's actually not a snake. It's just a piece of a rope that's lying there, right? And now you don't feel fear anymore, right? Like, you know, the fear was real, mm -hmm. but it wasn't proof that there's a snake there. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And we're moving away from that, especially on colleges and, you know, places. You know, and, and that's, that's an argument for these, these organizations where, you know, they feel, you know, oppressed. They feel that people are being racist against them. And like you said, that those I'm, I'm not I'm not uh, debating whether those feelings are real. I'm sure they mm -hmm. do feel oppressed. I'm sure they feel mm -hmm. like that person's racist against them. Mm -hmm. But is that the truth? You know, is it really? Is it in your head? Is it or is it in their hearts? And we don't know each other's hearts. 
Right. We all need to extend a little more grace to each other and give them the opportunity to, to explain themselves. And, you know, if you have, you know, one thing you have to do is besides leave, you know, to get to the truth, you have to be able to talk about things openly. Mm -hmm. And you have to internalize and say, I'm willing to be wrong. Mm -hmm. If you're not willing to be wrong, you're not going to learn anything. And you're not going to grow as a person. And I think a lot of these groups, they're not willing to be wrong. They've made up their minds. And if you speak against them, uh, you're the enemy. And, you know, I don't think that's any way to grow or to hear. Because a lot of times, you know, just in a relationship with my wife, we fight. I think she says something that offends me or is hurtful. And then we talk about it. And I learned that she didn't mean that. that was, she was talking about something else. There's, you know, you have to give the other person that opportunity to say, oh, maybe I understood you wrong. Maybe I'm getting it wrong. And I don't think, we're, as a culture, we're doing that these days. Thank you for listening to the podcast episode. After 20 years as a serial entrepreneur, it's my passion to bring you ideas and insights from some of the best entrepreneurs, leaders, and thinkers in the world straight to your phone. We're gonna be launching many, many more podcast episodes in the future, so please subscribe and leave a five-star review if you found any value at all from today's conversation. Your reviews and feedback mean the world to me.